0: Thank you so very much, Kathy, for that very special prayer, and thank you to our praise team this morning for such wonderful songs that uh, express such wonderful truths. I particularly am thankful for the last one. Yet not Christ, but I, and we'll. Or yet not I, but Christ, and we'll talk about that in our message today. So, thank you so very much. Well, when I was pastoring in lower Michigan, uh, I used to participate in a live local uh, call-in TV program called Ask the Pastor. And it was made up of a panel of pastors from the West Michigan area. I'll never forget one day, a lady called in saying she had been re-saved after backsliding from the Lord. And she said, when I was saved before, I could speak in tongues... But now that I'm saved the second time, she said, I cannot speak in tongues. And so she asked, does this mean that I'm not really saved? And I just have to tell you that my heart really sank for that dear lady. She thought assurance of salvation comes from speaking in tongues. And how totally false that is. The assurance of our salvation comes from the Word of God, the witness of the Holy Spirit, and the evidence that your life has been changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you know that you are saved. And then she thought that salvation is temporary. Uh, She said she once had it, then she lost it, and now she had it Again. And you think about that. God's salvation is supposed to bring us a sense of peace with Him. Romans 5 1. Uh, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And yet, here she was, filled with anxiety about her relationship with God. And then, salvation is supposed to bring assurance. Romans 8 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But she was very confused about where she stood with the Lord. I just want to say, look what false and misguided teaching does. False and misguided teaching is a terrible, terrible thing because it turns things upside down. Instead of peace and security, she was filled with doubt and insecurity. And it is for such doubting, anxious souls that God gave us the very last section of Romans chapter 8. Do you know in a real sense, Romans 8 is all about the security of the believer? Uh, Verse 1 is really like a title over the entire chapter. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And then we are given reason after reason why we are secure if we belong to Jesus Christ. And finally, in somewhat of a triumphant conclusion, Paul hurls out question after question. He invites, challenges us, almost defies anyone to deny the security that a believer in Jesus Christ has. And these final verses are sort of like a great crescendo in a magnificent piece of music. They almost overwhelm us in the majesty of the finale of Romans chapter 8. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn there this morning... And look at what God says to us with your own very eyes. It is page 1123 in the chair Bible in front of you. And Paul has a number of questions for us that can be uh, summarized in three great guarantees for all who truly belong to Christ by faith in His name. And so, let's just take a moment, shall we, and let's pray, and then we'll begin to look at them one by one. Lord, as Kathy said this morning in her prayer, this is so important. We want to understand your word accurately, because you desire us to know that we have peace with you. You want us to know whether salvation is a temporary thing that somehow is fragile and can be lost or is it a permanent thing that once You have truly given it to us is ours for now and for eternity. And what a great assurance this gives us that as we were just singing, it is not I, but it is Christ who keeps me. Teach us now these glorious truths from this Great, majestic finale to this majestic chapter 8, and we'll thank you for Jesus' wonderful sake. Amen. Now let's notice, first of all, as we look at verses 31 and 32, Paul tells us that no one can successfully oppose us. Look at verse 31. What then shall we say to these things, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Now, to each one of these guarantees, there are two answers to this question why. And the first reason why God, no one can oppose us, is God is on the believer's side. This opening question, what shall we say to these things, invites us all to come to a conclusion. And these things refers to all of the assurances that are given to us so far. It includes everything from chapter 5 all the way to the end of chapter 8. And when we consider all that God has done for us, well, what's the conclusion that we come to? If God is for us, no one can be against us. By the way, isn't that a summary of the entire Gospel? That in the Lord Jesus Christ, God is for us. And because that is true... No foe can ultimately be against us. Now, obviously, this does not mean that no one can try to oppose us. Satan does everything that he can to cause our faith to fall. The world is constantly tempting us to join its God-defying ways. But these enemies, according to the Bible here, cannot successfully overthrow our faith. And the reason for that is God is on our side. And we've seen that already. He's answering the prayers of the Holy Spirit that infallibly lead us into the ultimate will of God. He is causing all things to work together for our eternal good. And so no one can defeat us if Almighty God of the universe is on our side. Pastor Kent Hughes, who used to pastor... Uh, so wonderfully down in Wheaton, Illinois, has said about this, we are always being led to victory in Christ. Think about that this morning. We are always being led to victory in Christ. Now, if we wonder that this morning, and we say, is that really true? Am I always and inevitably being led to victory in Christ? Let me share with you a parallel passage in which Paul says something really very, very similar. 2 Corinthians 2.14 And notice what he says. But thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. Now let me ask you, how much are we being led in Christ's triumphal procession? What's the word? Always. Always. And who are we giving thanks to for always leading us in this triumphal procession that Christ is leading? Who are we giving the thanks to? To God. As we just sang, not I, but Christ. Now what's amazing about the imagery here is the imagery is of an ancient triumphal procession. Here is an ancient mural of one of these processions by a king of Assyria. And here's what would happen. Conquered enemies would be uh, marched in a procession from their conquered territory all the way to uh, the, the king's territory. And when they arrived, they would be forced to kneel down before the king, and then the king would step on their neck with his foot. It was an image of total abject defeat by a superior power. That's the imagery here of being led in Christ's conquering processional. So this is what Jesus then has done for every believer. He has conquered, and He will conquer every foe. And we may be momentarily defeated in our Christian experience, but evil will never ultimately prevail over us. Now you know what we can do this morning? We can personalize these words. We can put our name in what is said here if we know the Savior and belong to Him. I can read these verses, God is for Brian Oberg. And if you know Christ today and belong to Him, you can put your name here, God is for, and then put your name there. It is because of what God has done for you. In the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice in verse 32, somebody might ask this question. Well, what about God? How do we know that He won't turn against us? What assurance do we have that He will stay with us to the end? Are there any limits as to what God will do for us? And the answers to those speculations are the second why in verse 32, God will give to us all that we need. Look at it. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Now, you can see here that the argument is from the greater to the lesser. God has already given to us the best that He has to offer. And I want you to notice in verse 32 the terms that are used to magnify God's gift to us in Christ. Look at them. God gave His own Son, unique and eternal Son of God. He did not spare Him. He held nothing back. He delivered Him up which is used of handing somebody over for judgment, and He did it for us all. He did it for our benefit, so that we might be saved. Now look at what's being said here. God made the very greatest sacrifice possible for our salvation. If we receive that salvation through God's Son, then whatever else that we need will surely be given. Pastor Jim Boyce says about verse 32, this verse is a blank check for our true needs. Think about that. If God has given you the greatest, He's given you the bank account, will He not then allow you to draw on that bank account for your true needs... Whatever they might be. Do you need strength to overcome temptation? And first Corinthians ten thirteen says he will make a way of escape that you might be able to bear it. Do you need a friend in life's dark places? And Jesus said in Matthew twenty eight verse twenty, Lo I am with you always. Do you need direction in how to live? And Proverbs three six says that He will direct your paths. When you have lost a loved one and you need comfort, 2 Corinthians one three says He's the God of all comfort. And if you need assurance at the moment and time of your death, Psalm 116.15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. God will give us all we need because He's given us the greatest He could give in His Son. Now, somebody in response to that might say, okay, all right, I I believe this. No external foe can oppose us. But what about ourselves? Can't we fail because of our own tendency to sin? And I think all of us know that there are some who think this way. If we sin great enough, somehow that will cause us to lose our salvation. And so Paul gives to us another great declaration. He says, no one can successfully accuse us. And I want you to notice, again, there are two reasons why... No one can successfully bring an accusation against us. Number one, God has irreversibly justified us. Look at verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who does what? Justifies us. Now to think that sin can cause a loss of our salvation is to totally misunderstand what justification is. The question of verse 33 focuses upon the judgment at the last time as the future tense shows. Verse 33 says, "...who shall bring any charge against God's elect?" So Paul is talking about the great final judgment... And he is telling us that God has already rendered the verdict way ahead of that final judgment for those who are in Christ. Now clearly we understand the idea is not that anyone cannot find anything against us. Our own conscience has many things it could find that we are guilty of. But the point here is this. The only one who counts will not condemn us. It is God who has justified us. Through Christ's death, He declares the sinner not guilty, and He bestows a righteous standing, and that verdict is rendered at the moment of our conversion, but it is a permanent verdict that will take us all the way to the final judgment at the end of time, you know as I think about this, we could compare it to our legal system. We have a little out here in our legal system that if an attorney does not like the verdict that has been declared by a judge or a court, that attorney can appeal that verdict, and that decision can be taken to another judge or another court. And you understand the process how ultimately it can go all the way to the Supreme Court. But what is Paul telling us here? God's court is the highest in the universe. There can be no appeal beyond him. And his judgment has been rendered ahead of time and that judgment is not guilty. Now, all of us know a wonderful truth about God. We know that God is immutable. That means He is unchanging. He doesn't make a decision and then decide later, oh, that decision was a mistake. I think I will reverse it and I will make another decision. No, because God is immutable He has irreversibly justified every true believer. Now I want you to see how to drive this home to us. In verse 34, he continues this scene of the courtroom. And look what he says. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised... We could say more than that who is at the right hand of God. We could say more than that who is interceding for us. What is he saying to us here? In this heavenly courtroom, God has not already given us the verdict that we are now justified and not guilty, but Christ, as our lawyer, is continually pleading our case. That's what a lawyer does. And verse 34 is telling us that His intercession is constant as He presents the merits of His death. And I want you to notice the ascending order of the events that build on one another, showing us that Christ is able to present His completed work of atonement for us. Look at verse 34 and notice how the events of what Christ did for us ascend. He died. That is, He paid the penalty for our sins. And then He was raised. Proof positive that God accepted Christ's sacrifice. And then He is at the right hand of God, exalted by God for His achievement And then finally, He is interceding for us. He pleads the effectiveness of His sacrifice, showing we are saved. I wonder how many of you in our opening song notice that we sang this great truth which the song beautifully captures for us. As we sang this very process here in verse 34. We got to verse 3. And notice how verse 3 beautifully describes what it is that God is teaching us. We sang it earlier. Let's read it now together. Join me. And now for me He stands before the Father's throne. He shows His wounded hands And names me as his own. For me he died. For me he lives. And everlasting life and light he freely gives. Can I hear an amen this morning to that? Amen. And then I want you to think about this. The Bible tells us in another place. That because this intercession is going on for us, every moment of every day, it brings security to our salvation. Look at what the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews 7.25. Look what he says. Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through Him. Because he always lives to, and read the last three words with me intercede for them. Brothers and sisters, our salvation is complete because it's based on Jesus, not on us. Now look at these two great truths that make it very clear, though there is much in all of our lives for us to be accused of, because our salvation is based in God and in God alone, those accusations can never be successful. By the way, over the course of my life in the last number of years, I I like to use the three sins a day illustration to help people see how sinful we all really are. And I talk about the fact that if we were a really good person, we might be able to limit our sins to three a day. If we think about our thoughts, our words, the things we fail to do that we should do, the things that we do do that I shouldn't do. If you think about it, three days, three sins a day, uh, that's probably a small amount for most of us if we don't include the, the days that we really commit a lot of sins. But at the end of a year, that would be a thousand sins a year. And then this is what gets interesting to me. The older I get, the more sins that accumulates. When I was 40, I used to say, and that means I've sinned easily 40,000 times. And then I'd get to 50, and I had to increase it to 50,000 times. <laughs> and then I'd get to 60, and now I'm 61, and now I have to say 61,000 times. And it's almost, Lord, don't let me live to 70, please, please. But you begin to think about this, the longer we live, the more we accumulate our sins. And if our salvation and His security is based upon us, are we not in trouble this morning? Yes, we are. But here are two great truths about God. We have an immutable God who never changes. And therefore, when He renders a verdict that verdict will never change. And we have an interceding Savior who never stops. So that even the sins I will yet commit in my decade of my 60s have already been paid for, and Jesus is already interceding, pleading the merits of His death and resurrection for those sins. That's why no one can successfully accuse us. Well, Now, at this point, we might have one final question. Somebody might raise their hand and say, well, what about hard circumstances? Do they not cause us to question God's love for us? I'll never forget a young woman coming to me saying to me, I'm mad at God. Well, why are you mad at God? Because my mother has cancer and God has not healed her. And I'm mad at God. Does He really love and care? And when we would come with a thought like that, What the Apostle Paul says to us is we must understand that we are secure because no one can successfully separate us. Now notice the two answers he gives. Number one, we are super conquerors. Look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Notice how he begins this section by asking the question, and then he will use the word separate again later, and answer it himself, and say nothing will separate us. So he asks the question, and then he answers it. And then look at all these hard things. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword... As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, he says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. These verses are describing every conceivable hardship, including death, and he says, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Now, in our English Bibles, we have three words that are used to translate one word. The word in the original language is actually hyper-conquerors. And there is some suggestion that the Apostle Paul may have taken two words, conquerors and hyper, and put them together to make a new word, that helps us to understand how secure we are. It is a heightened form of the verb that means to prevail completely. That's what a more than conqueror is. It is somebody that that prevails completely. And we say, what does that actually mean? Well, did you notice how verse 38 starts? For... That tells us that 38 and 39 are an explanation of more than conquerors in verse 37. So if we wonder, what does it mean to be a hyper-conqueror? What does it mean to prevail completely? Paul does not leave that to our own understanding, he tells us. And if we were to summarize it, this is what we could say. Believers win in every situation. It's as though Paul gets to the end of this great magnificent symphony and he decides, I'm going to let it all out. If he were at the organ, he would pull out all of the stops and he mentions everything he can possibly think of. Let's look at it. Look at verse 38. "...for I am sure that neither death nor life..." Let's stop right there. "...death, the great separator, and life with all of its hardships. "...nor angels, rulers, or powers, that would be Satan and all of his demons. "...nor things that are present, nor things to come, that would be all the circumstances that we face now or we face in the future." nor height, nor depth. Anything in the boundaries of space and time itself. And then, if we wonder, is there anything else outside of that? Verse 39, he says, not anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know that expression, anything else in all creation is literally any created thing? Any created thing, he says, will not be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me ask you a question. Does any created thing include you? What would be our answer? Well, I think we all believe That God is the creator who has created us. So, does any created thing include me? And the answer is, of course. And we say, how can this be? You mean I cannot walk away from my faith? Listen to me carefully. You may be able to walk away from your faith temporarily, but if you are a true, genuine, real believer, you cannot walk away from your faith permanently. And you say, why? Because any created thing includes you. And since you are included in the catch-all phrase in case we would say there's got to be something else outside of all the things that he lists that could separate us from our faith, he says, I want you to understand this is comprehensive, any created thing. And that includes you. And in the Christian life, there are times of backsliding. In fact, isn't all sin a backsliding time? Of course it is. All sin is a lack of faith. All sin is a turning away from what God would have for us at that moment. And yet God's salvation is so certain for those He has brought into His family and saved. That all backsliding is a temporary turning, not an eternal. Let me show you this morning how the Bible teaches this in other places. Look with me at Jude 24 and 25, and I want to ask you a few questions after I read it, and you answer the questions with me. To Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. And I can't say the last word without asking you to join me. Let's say it together. Amen. Now here are the questions. And you answer them with me. Who is keeping us according to these verses? It's the only God, our Savior, isn't it? He is the one keeping us. How will He ultimately present Him to ourselves without what? Fault. Whose power and authority assures this? Well, it is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And when does this keeping happen? Not just simply forevermore, but when? Now. Look at this. He is able to keep us from falling... Not just off in the distant future, but now. And, what is the effect that this has upon us? It is with what kind of joy? Great joy. Great joy. You see, this is the security that the real believer has in Christ. If you know anything about classical music, you know that Beethoven's Fifth Symphony is considered to be the most majestic symphony of them all in terms of its finale. It builds and builds with a loudness towards the end that draws you into it and finally, when the climactic thing is over, your breath is taken away from you as you are caught up in this wonderful, wonderful symbol of praise. And that's what Paul does here for us. He draws us to the end in this wonderful, wonderful chapter of Romans chapter 8, and he says no one can successfully oppose us, no one can successfully accuse us, no one can successfully separate us. And as we are drawn into this majestic music with him, we are drawn to wonderful praise and acknowledgement of the great salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ. And so this morning we are going to close by singing a wonderful song that expresses these very truths. And I want you to just before we do to bow with me and let's thank the Lord Jesus for what He has done for us. Father, today... I pray that no one is like that woman who called in to ask the pastor so long ago. Confused about how we know that we are truly saved. Anxious about am I a member of the family of God? Is there peace between Me and the Heavenly Father. Am I sure there is no condemnation for me? Because I am in Christ Jesus. I pray that anyone today doubting those things would come to the foot of the cross. Would express their need. Their awareness of their sinfulness. Would cast themselves upon the love, mercy, and grace of the one who died and rose for them. Would repent and turn from their own way. And place their trust in the living Savior. And I pray that by the authority of the Word of God, the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of an ongoing, transformed life, that they would know they have been brought from death to life. And then, Father, I I pray today for that believer who is struggling with some difficult experience. And maybe God seems far away. Maybe the pain and confusion is causing them to wonder. Is God really at work in my life? Is He working out a marvelous plan? Someday when it's all completed, will I understand more? and praise Him in eternal glory. I pray, Lord, that that struggling believer would base their confidence, their trust, in the Word of God. Lord, if we get our theology from our circumstances, there will be many days we have no idea if You truly love us. But when we get our theology from the Word of God, which You have revealed, we know, without a shadow of a doubt, You love us completely. You are for us. And we can trust You. Bring encouragement, Father. Bring comfort. Bring peace. Bring patience, endurance, steadfastness. That we might love you and trust you, obey you, and follow you. until Jesus wonderfully appears. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we are made like Him for all eternity. We will fellowship in His presence as His blood-brought children. We thank You for Jesus' sake. Amen.